If you would, please be taking out your Bibles and turning to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs, the 31st chapter, please. And now while you're doing that, I just want to take a moment and uh, thank all of those folks for the baby shower yesterday for our daughter Katie. I know that many of you don't even know her, and yet Karen and I and, and Katie were completely overwhelmed with the love and the gifts and for those of you who are responsible for putting on the shower, for those of you who came to the house, for those of you who couldn't be there because you had other obligations, but yet uh, brought a gift for Katie, Karen and I were just overwhelmed. And we thank you for the love that is here for us and our family. And you make it feel so much like home. It is home, and, and we're grateful for that. Seemed to me that today would be a Good day to begin with Proverbs chapter 31, for obvious reasons. I'd like for us to explore that text in depth, and we will be turning to other places as well, but this will be our text for the morning. I'd like to start right off with verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. King Lemuel, according to most Jewish commentators, is King Solomon. Lemuel is King Solomon, and notice what he said that his mother taught him in verses 2 through 7. What, my son, and what, son of my womb, what, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. She told him that as king there were many things righteous that he was going to have to do and that he shouldn't be touching strong drink in any way, shape, or form because it would dull his ability to, to serve in that capacity, to be a king, to mete out righteous judgment. She goes on, she went on to tell him when he was young that Strong drink, verse 6, was for him who was perishing in wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Not that that is a vindication or a support of that, but what she's trying to do is contrast for Solomon that these were not things befitting him who would serve God in righteousness. She wants him to be able to do what it says in verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and please the plead the cause of the poor and the needy. The poor and the needy, like perhaps the, the widow and the orphan, God has always had a spot we read throughout the Old Testament for those who are helpless and afflicted, for the widow and the orphan, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 17 through 25 talk of this. We see it even in this chapter as well. God has always been concerned for the poor and needy. And when this chapter goes on and Solomon goes on to talk about the virtuous, wonderful woman of God, she too is to be concerned for the poor and needy. Look at verse 20, for example. Speaking of this virtuous wife later on, this one who follows God, her heart too goes out, as does God's, to those who are poor and needy. She extends her hand to the poor, she reaches out to 
the needy. It's interesting to me that we see what we do here in verse 9, that he talks about the poor and needy in verses 8 and 9, and then he's going to go right into talking about a virtuous wife. You say, well, what's significant about that? Well, when I read that, my thoughts go to 1 Timothy 5, 9, and 10 when he talks about the worthy widow. She was somebody who was the virtuous wife, somebody who did serve the needs of the saints, and now she is poor and in need. And for me, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 act as kind of a, a link between these two. I want to come right out and say that by far, the single most priceless and incredibly wonderful thing that any man can have, with the exception of the Bible, is a godly and faithful wife to stand beside and support him. That's the message of Proverbs 31. A woman of God. This is just as true today as it has been since creation. And I want you to really, really hear me. I want you to really hear the word of the living God. Ladies and gentlemen of every age here today, again, there is no greater gift, no greater gift that a woman can give to her husband, to her children, to her family and all of those around her than to be a faithful and godly woman. There's nothing any more precious, there's nothing any more priceless than that. Not beauty, not money, not fame and, and earthly acquirements. There is no other thing that makes her as priceless as for her to be a woman of God. And that is the message of Proverbs 31, 10 and following. But it's also important, I think, for women to understand, for men to understand as well, that not only being a faithful and godly woman, being the most precious gift that she can give to her husband and family, it is the most precious gift she can give to God himself. God values that quality above all other qualities. Keep your finger here and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 and we will see this. It is the gift that she gives to God as well, that he, that he has such a high value placed upon. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, look at this. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some of them do not obey the word, some of them aren't even Christians, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, fear of God. Do not let, this is so crucial, do not let your adorn adornment be merely outward arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, watch this, which is very precious in the sight of God. 
God puts such a high value and priority on that quality, ladies. For in this manner in the former times, verse 5, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. I think it's important for us to note in verse 3, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. There's nothing wrong with those things, nothing wrong with those things at all. That's not his point. His point is not, don't do this. His point is, that's not where your true beauty comes from. That's not where your focus should be of what is truly beautiful within you. That which is truly beautiful, that which should be focused on even more, even though those things are fine, they can't be the total focus of what makes you beautiful, but it's what's on the inside. It's that woman of God that God so highly treasures as he goes on in this passage to talk about. Don't let it be just outward. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10 echoes those same sentiments. It says that women are to adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Again, there's nothing wrong with doing those other things for the outward part, nothing wrong with that at all. But don't let it just be that. You know why? Because all of those things pass. As we're gonna see at the very end of Proverbs, beauty passes, ladies. Physical beauty, physical adornment, all of those things. Gentlemen, if you ain't there yet, you will be someday. You ain't always gonna look like you do when you're 20. It's not the way it goes. So build that beauty that's on the inside. I wonder, I wonder, how many men and women, but seeing as how we're talking about Proverbs 31 today, I wonder how many women spend millions of dollars and hours and efforts trying to make themselves only beautiful on the outside. And I say momentarily more beautiful on the outside because this life is what? It's just a vapor. It's here and it's gone. Those are momentary things when the same amount of time and effort and energy would be better spent on making themselves infinitely more beautiful on the inside through the persistent study of God's word, pouring of themselves out in service to the Lord and other people through worship. I wonder, because that's what makes a woman so, that's what makes anybody, man or woman, so beautiful to God and to others. And that's the message in Proverbs 31. Look with me in Proverbs 31.10 and let us go on and we will see all of these things. He says, who can find a virtuous wife? It's interesting, the word virtuous here, the, the word in the Hebrew that's translated virtuous is used 243 times in the Old Testament. You look at that and you say, well, wait a minute, I don't read virtuous 243 times in the Old Testament. No, you don't. Because that word it's translated a lot of different ways. It epitomizes a lot of different things. Listen to what this word means that's translated virtuous. It also indicates strength, might, ability, efficiency, valor, virtue, force, or power. The woman who's strong and able a virtuous wife, one who has all of these virtues. 
In other words, it's these virtues and strengths and abilities that are described in the following verses which truly make the precious and priceless woman or wife in God's eyes. For her worth, verse 10, the second part, for her worth is far above rubies. What's described in this chapter is a woman who is worth more than all the money in the world to her husband. Young ladies, young men, are you listening? This passage describes a woman who is worth more than all the money in the world to her husband. Her worth is far above rubies. Look at verses 11 and 12. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Please notice in verse 11, the heart of her husband doesn't just trust her. He safely trusts her. He knows and he has complete confidence in her and who she is as a woman of God. He safely trusts her. And it goes on to say she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. There have been times in the past in other congregations where I have served as a, as a minister of the gospel where it became a trademark of some spouses when you would go out to eat or something to run their spouse down publicly. Whether it be the husband, his wife, or the wife, her husband. But this woman of God here, she does him good and not evil. She doesn't run him down in public. And she, she is like this all the days of her life. She is dependable. This is a woman that God and her husband prizes above so many other things. In fact, Proverbs 12.4 says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. If I walked in here this morning to preach this sermon, and I had on a little tiara, do you think you'd notice? I'm guessing you would. When the Bible says in Proverbs 12.4 that she is the crown of her husband, she is one of the first things that you notice that makes her husband who he is. It says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness to his bones. Just as a, a woman can, can make or break her husband's reputation when it comes to being an elder, a deacon, a preacher, or even a faithful member of the Lord's church, so too can she be seen here as doing. Look at verse 23. It says in verse 23 of Proverbs 31, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. He is known, he's respected is the idea. He's respected. Why is he respected? One of the reasons he's respected is because of that wonderful godly woman that he has got who supports him and does him no ill all the days of his life. We move on to verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. We see this throughout this proverb. For example, look at verses 18 and 19. We're going through a whole list here. Look at 18 and 19. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. Her lamp does not go out. She's always busy. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She's busy 
at work for others. Verse 20, we've already read, she extends her hand to the poor and needy. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She's more concerned with others than she is herself. Verses 21 and 2, she's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her clothing, all her household is clothed with scarlet. In other words, everything's taken care of. Everything's in order. She doesn't have to worry about problems. She doesn't have to worry about the storm. Why? Because she's taking care of it before it ever strikes. She's got everything in place. It's going to be all right. She makes, verse 22, tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Very price, pricey, the purple fabric guy. But she's taken care of everything, and she's taken care of it very well. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. She's a woman who's always busy for God. This picture we have in Proverbs 31 is of a woman of God who is multi-talented, multitasking. She doesn't just take the talents that God has given her and not use them. She's multi-talented. She's multitasking. She is self-sacrificing. And she is a hard-working giver to the glory of her God. There were women similar to this in Exodus 35, 25, and 26 who made the garments and tapestries for the tabernacle. And it says, all the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and they brought what they had spun of blue, purple, scarlet, and fine linen. All those women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. When God had a need for his house, these women responded, these women of God. And they stayed busy serving the Lord and his people and those needs. One can hardly read through Proverbs 31 and some of the verses that we have considered without recalling some absolutely beautiful New Testament women. New Testament women such as Dorcas or Tabitha in Acts chapter 9, Lydia chapter 16, chapter 16. One cannot read these passages without recalling to mind, again from the New Testament, of what such older godly wives and women are to be constantly doing. They are to be constantly teaching these qualities to the younger women who would aspire to perhaps one day become the godly women that they see in these older women. Turn with me to Titus 2, would you please? Keep your finger here. We'll be back. In Titus chapter 2, it tells you what these older godly women are doing or are to do. In Titus 2, Beginning at verse 1, of course, it's addressed to Titus. Paul tells Titus, Titus 2.1, As for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Then verse 3, The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. That verse always comes to mind, or seems to, when I read Proverbs 31. 
This is what godly women are to be about. They're sharing that which makes them godly. They're sharing the love of their God and their devotion to their God with the next generation. And it just keeps going. And ladies, I know it'd be easy maybe for some of you that are 20-something to say, well, I'm not an older lady yet. You are to the 10-year-olds who are watching you. Our daughter Katie, when she was a counselor at Green Valley, I believe it was at that time we reminded her, you're an older woman. <laughs> older women are to teach the younger, the, little, the, the younger girls that she had in her cabin. She was to set the right example for them. So this whole thing of older women teaching the younger, it's a matter of, of perspective. Because I'll tell you what, you ladies that are even 18 or 19 and you're Christian young women, you have your license. Maybe you're graduating high school. You know what? To those younger girls in the congregation or maybe your own siblings that are 10, 12, 13, you're an example to them. You're a teacher by what you say and do to them. Back to Proverbs 31, look at verse 14. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. It would be so easy to read over verse 14 and yet I probably have more to say about verse 14 than any other verse here. Why on earth did King Solomon say, or King Lemuel, if you don't believe it was Solomon, why did he say that this woman that he's talking about, this godly woman, is like a merchant ship? What on earth did Solomon know about merchant ships? A whole bunch. That's why he used the comparison. King Solomon knew that these merchant ships, and this is so crucial to the way he wrote this, he knew that merchant ships were the source of most of the things that made him the richest man in the world at that point in time, or one of. He knew that the merchant ships were the source of all that made him one of the richest men on earth. They are what brought him treasure. And without his merchant ships, just like a man without a woman like this, he would be so much poorer. Turn with me for a moment to 2 Chronicles, would you please? Let's see what Solomon actually knew about merchant ships. 2 Chronicles chapter 9. I'm going to read really fast, so follow along, because I don't get to the punchline for a while. 2 Chronicles chapter 9, beginning at verse 13. Here we go. When the pages stop turning. Love to hear those pages turn. Second Chronicles chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. Picture this. Don't have time to go into all the, the worth of this, but just, if you want to look it up later, that's great, but just take, it, take this into your heart. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold, besides what the traveling merchants and traders brought. And all the kings of Arabia and governors of the country brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of hammered gold went into each shield. This was like dirt in a road to him. He also made 300 shekels of hammered gold. 300 shekels of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, that means in addition, as if that weren't enough, the king made a great throne of ivory overlaid it with pure gold. What do you think that'd be worth today? <clears throat> a throne, big enough for a man to sit on, made of pure ivory, overlaid with pure gold. 
The throne had six steps with a footstool of gold which were fastened to the throne, armrests on either side of the place of the seat, two lions beside the armrest. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. All of King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. <laughs> Who wants a cup of pure silver when you can have pure gold? I mean, it was nothing. It, 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 to have cups made out of silver was like styrofoam today. It didn't mean anything. They, they, silver and gold were so plentiful. Where'd you get it? Look at the next two verses. Four, this connects it to everything he said before this. All of this silver and gold, or at least the lion's share of it, for the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. Gold, silver, and ivory. The very things that it's been talking about. All this gold, silver, and ivory had to come to Solomon one way. The merchant ships. They were the source of some of the most valuable things that Solomon had. And so there is an added beauty when he says that this woman of God is like merchant ships. I want to share with you Dr. F. L. Meldo in an old copy of Christian Victory magazine wrote seven comparisons between merchant ships and these godly women. Listen to this. Number one, merchant ships must have a pilot or captain if they are going to be successful in completing the journey and arriving at their intended destination. A truly godly Christian woman has the Lord Jesus Christ as the pilot of her heart and home. She loves the Lord her God with all her heart, all her soul, all her mind, and all her strength. And it shines through in everything she is and everything she does. Jesus Christ is her captain. Number two, merchant ships used to be guided by the brightness of the North Star. Truly godly Christian women guide their lives, guard their homes, raise their children, and love their husbands by the guidance of the greatest light of all, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, and his word which serves as a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path, Psalm 119, 105. Number three, merchant ships transport costly, precious, beautiful cargo from distant lands back to their homeland. We read about the silver, gold, and ivory. They're all of the time transporting these costly and beautiful things back to their homeland. Truly godly Christian women and mothers transfer the priceless blessings and bounties of heaven. They transport that or transfer that into the lives of their husbands, their children, their home and those around them. Number four, merchant ships endure many a storm at sea Godly Christian mothers and wives weather many moral and spiritual lives over the lifetime of their children, but without fear as they cling to the Lord God. They cling to the Lord Jesus Christ, the master of the sea, as he proved in the New Testament. 
and they are at peace. Number five, merchant ships are ever at work, in motion, and well-stocked for long journeys. Truly godly Christian women and wives and mothers are always on the go, always on duty, always ready to dispense, to give out life-giving assistance from their stockpile of love and encouragement and mercy and godly truth. In fact, this is interesting. When God himself wanted to comfort and encourage his Old Testament children, his Old Testament people, Jerusalem, when he wanted to comfort them with news of their upcoming deliverance, their upcoming redemption and jubilation, God himself used the symbolism of a mother's love to get across to them that very point. Isaiah 66, 9 through 13 reads as follows. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her, that you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. We just sang about that, did we not? I will extend peace to her like a river, the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then you shall feed. On her side shall you be carried and be dandled on her knees as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem when God himself wanted for them to understand the tender mercies of his love. He is that of a mother's love. God was in it for the long haul. God wanted to help his people. It's interesting that 700 years later, when Jesus came, he used a very similar language when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Again, there's this idea of motherhood and caring. Do you know that when the Apostle Paul wanted to get across to some of the churches in the first century, how much he loved and cared for them, that he used the same symbolism? Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verses 7 and following. It's interesting that he puts it in these terms. 1 Thessalonians 2, beginning at verse 7, look what he says. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. You remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believed. For you know we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children, that you would walk worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. In that passage, he first uses a mother's love and then a father's love to convey to them his love for them. Finally, 
Number six, merchant ships head for harbor to unload their cargo. Merchant ships do not abandon their cargo like the pagan sailors who didn't know God in the book of Acts in chapter 27. Truly godly Christian wives and mothers seek to help support their husbands, their children, and guide all of those around them safely into harbor. They don't abandon them at sea when the storm hits. And number seven, merchant ships keep nothing back for themselves. That's the whole purpose of a merchant ship is to carry goods from one place to another. They don't keep them once they get to port and say, hey, we'll keep some of that. Godly Christian wives and mothers are the same way. They are completely self-sacrificial. They don't keep anything back for themselves. But instead, their lives are spent and dedicated and poured out in service to their families. They take Romans 12, 1 to heart, and they live as a living sacrifice. We see this in Proverbs 31, verses 15 through 17. Look what it says. It says here, she could... Verse 15, she rises while it's yet night, provides food for her household, portion for her maidservant, considers a field and buys it. She profits from her profits. She plants a vineyard. It goes on from there, and it says she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. And it's interesting to note, we've already talked about the modest clothing and what makes a, a godly Christian woman so beautiful. Notice that even though she makes clothing for different reasons over here, notice what she's girded with, verse 17. She's girded with strength. With strength. In fact, it goes on to say over in verse 25, strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. Well, what does she do with this strength and honor? Well, verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Please notice in verse 25, not only the clothing that covers her, her strength and honor, but she's got a happy future ahead. She shall rejoice in the time to come. She's got happiness and joy to look forward to. Please notice in verse 26 that the wisdom there is godly wisdom, like in Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. And finally, in verse 27, she is alert to her family's needs. She's never idle, simply pouring out her life in service to them. What is the result of all of this? Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Brothers, if you've got a godly wife and a godly mother, you need to praise her. You need to encourage her. You need to let her know every day how priceless and precious and special she is to you. You're one of the richest men on earth. If you have a woman who fears the Lord as your mother, your wife, mother-in-law. You know, as we read on here, it says, many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. People are going to forget what you wore. Ladies, gentlemen, do you know what the person sitting beside you had on in services six months ago? People are going to forget what you wore. People may even over time forget what you look like. 
The people are not going to forget what you did for them, nor the example, insight, or inspiration which you gave to them. This woman who fears the Lord, right here in this passage, in verse 30, she's far more concerned with the way she lives than the way she looks. She's far more concerned with serving others instead of being served. Such a woman could truly be said to be a woman after God's own heart. She who loves and learns and lives and teaches and exemplifies the will of God in all that she does, there is no more powerful, there is no more precious or priceless earthly blessing, with the exception of a Bible, any man on the planet than a God-fearing wife, God-fearing mother that will help get him and their children home to heaven. According to God, this is so precious as well. Let me tell you something real quick before we close. As I read Proverbs 31, I'm always reminded of this truth. The most beautiful women in the entire world are not found on a TV screen, in the movies, or on a magazine cover. The most beautiful women in the world are found in Christ Jesus, period. That's Proverbs 31. The most beautiful women in the world because their beauty doesn't fade. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, as we all get older and, and we get wrinkles and we lose our hair, this is not a reverse mohawk. This was not planned, okay? As we get older and we lose our hair and, you know, our, our chest falls and for guys and all of this stuff and, and women get older and they develop lines and, and all of that. Folks, beauty, physical beauty is going to fade and we're going to leave it behind when we go in the casket at the end of this life, right? It's, it's going to happen. But listen, a woman who fears the Lord gets more beautiful as the time goes by as she grows in her love for God, as she grows in who she is for Christ, as she grows in giving and spreading the aroma of Christ to everybody around her, she doesn't get less beautiful, she gets more beautiful every day. That's the point of this proverb. And I will tell you, we have got some absolutely beautiful women in this congregation because they are women whose first priority is to be what God wants them to be. And so, I want you to turn to one final passage, 3 John. You know, if you're blessed enough to have a woman who fears the Lord as your wife or mother, let her know. Not just today. Once a year is not enough. Let her know every day what a priceless blessing she is. <clears throat> you know, I've watched a lot of Mother's Days come and go. I've watched as moms have been taken out to lunch and they've been given gifts and those aren't bad things but we need to do it more than once a year and they're taken out to lunch and, and find things and wonderful things and it's kind of their day and, and all of that and, and okay that's that's wonderful but you know some of those gifts we give don't last very long 
I believe that a woman of God, the way it's described in Proverbs 31, if she had her absolute choice, if she had her choice of, of the greatest gift in the world that she could receive from her own children, I believe it would be this. Ask one later on after the sermon. What is the single greatest gift you can give to a woman of God like the one that is described in Proverbs 31? I think we see the answer, although a slightly different context, given in 3 John. 3 John, I'm sorry, 3 John, chapter 1. I'm in 1 John, but I'll change. 3 John 1, 1 through 4. Start in verse 2, rather. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. Verse 4 is the one. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. That godly woman who has sacrificed so much, given so much of herself, I don't believe there's a finer gift that can be given to her than that her children continue to walk in that legacy of truth that she shared with them with every fiber of her being. There is no greater gift because That's a gift you can give your mom that'll never fade. If that woman who's invested so much of herself in her family and she's followed God faithfully, there's one gift that you can give her that won't fade. She wants to be in eternity and have you there as her child for all of her life. That is the greatest gift you can give her. If that isn't something that you're doing, we would love to have you consider either coming to Christ or perhaps, if you're here today, coming back to Christ. To say first of all, of course, to the Savior, obviously, but then to mom as well, that you appreciate their example and the efforts and the sacrifices that they have put in that you might be saved. This morning, if you're grateful to God for the influence of your faithful, godly wife or mother and what she's had on your life, don't let the day go by without thanking God for her first and then letting her know. If you're a Christian woman here this morning of any age, whether you're 14 or 114 or anywhere in between, whether you're married or single, but you would like the prayers of the church that you will grow and become more of that Christian woman that we see in the scriptures, that woman of God we see in Proverbs 31, say, wait a minute, 14 year olds, 15? If you're a Christian woman, and you're still in high school, but you wanna be that woman God wants you to be, we'll pray for you to do that. We'd love to help. Or if you're somebody here this morning that would like a Bible study to help you grow and become a better person, or if you're here this morning and you've never been baptized into Christ, you've never been born, again, of the water and the spirit. We would rejoice to do that. If you have any of the